Now, before we meet our next guest, the next 60 seconds may change your child's life. Watch this. I'm Josh Langley, and I inspire kids right around the world with my Being You Is Enough series of books, my school talks, and my online program, Inspiring Kids. Now, I want to inspire your kid to find their inner bravery and their inner courage to accept themselves as they are and give them a set of tools and a set of skills to be their best selves. Because I know that when you reduce all the resistance, all that negative self-talk, all that hate, all that dislike about yourself because you feel different, when you suddenly are able to let go of that, that energy is then transformed into something magical and so let me inspire your child. Should we just get going? So, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready, Gary? Okay. Are you ready? Okay, you ready? I thought it was on the phone, so Josh really kindly gave me some extra time to wash my hair. Are you ready? Yep, ready as all be. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. So, what happens when you take your child to a child psychologist? Well, we're about to find out. We're gonna bust a few myths and we're gonna go inside the doors of a clinical psychology practice to find out what actually happens and what goes on and the benefit it can have for you and your child. Plus, we're also going to bust a few myths and find out what the effect of screen time has on growing brains. Because we are talking to Shell Taylor. Now, Shell Taylor is the founder and co-owner of Blossom Tree Psychology in Ballarat. Now, Shell is a registered clinical psychologist with over 20 years' experience working right across in government, non-government sectors in Victoria and WA. And she is absolutely passionate about what she does. So, pour a glass of wine, cup of coffee, whichever way it's going to be, take the dog for a walk. You are going to be so much the wiser after this podcast episode with Shell Taylor. Shell Taylor, how are you going? Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. I'm going really well. Now, we know that there are so many parents out there at the moment accessing child psychology services. It's just the the demand is unprecedented. Um, but I think before we actually sort of go into that, I think we need to demystify what a child psychologist actually does and what role you play. So can you talk to talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely, Josh. Look, you know, you're right about the demand at the moment. Um, you know, post-COVID, um, as a profession, we are being really slammed. Like, the wait lists are really, really long. Um, and so I've been doing a, a little bit of this, you know, talking with people and getting out and doing some public education as best I can so that families that are on wait lists can get some input and actually be doing some stuff with their kids at home that might actually hold them over while they're on, on a wait list. But in relation to your question, um, 
really a child psychologist is somebody who is intervening or providing intervention for kids who have got difficulties with managing or regulating or understanding their emotions and feelings um, and or have behaviour problems. So invariably the referrals will often come in with the focus being on a behavioural problem um, and a lot of us child psychologists will then look a little bit about, look, look a little bit to what's underneath the behaviour and what kind of emotions might be being stirred up or kid, that kids might be having difficulty regulating um, that kind of cause the behavioural problems or contribute to the behavioural problems. So that's essentially what we do. And are you seeing any sort of particular problems or behavioural problems that are more evident, that are sort of more common than any others? Look, at the moment, I think we're seeing a real surge in anxiety in young people um, post-COVID. I think we are a long way from knowing the real impact of COVID on the current cohort of young people, um, you know, and I'm talking like sort of probably from zero to 10 mm. during the last two years, so kids of those ages, but particularly the the littlies that were, um, you know, going through the most rapid period of their brain organisation over their social, social isolation periods during COVID and homeschooling and the like, um, or, you know, when everybody was at home, I think we're mm. yet to see the long-term benefits and the long-term gains of those times for those kids. So, and that's really that zero to six-year-old mark, you know. Um, and I think for a lot of those kids, they were still able to go to daycare, um, you know, and kindy and things like that. So those those services still ran. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, we talk about... Um, you know the mental health crisis that's that's that we're in at the moment so because of COVID. I would argue that we are just at the precipice of that. I think there's a big wave coming, mm. um, and I think for our young people particularly. But we're seeing a lot of anxiety, um, generalised social separation, um, as a result of, of of having just been so disrupted, having had their lives so disrupted. Um, mm. Peer and peer and school difficulties. Um, you know, some adjustment issues in terms of re readjusting back to school environments, navigating social relationships and the like. Yeah, because I've heard anecdotal stories from teachers that, you know, they're kids that may have, would have been starting year one or year two or even year three, you know, during those lockdowns, they weren't at school. And then suddenly they're all back at school now. But those crucial years of learning to socialise, learning to share, learning to communicate, learning to really interact with other kids gone and so now they're back yeah. at school and it's like, what do we do i don't know how to do that and so yeah. as you're saying so you're at the precipice and you, you're going to see more of of the effects of that but you actually indicated that there could be some positives that could come out of all of this i think you know and and again this will depend on the level of stress that was in the home yeah. environment during those periods um but, you know, there's, there was opportunities for mm. rich relational experiences. And one of the things I kept saying to my parents was, don't stress, don't sweat the homeschooling, just spend time with your kids. Like, first and foremost, you're a parent, you're not a teacher. Mm. And, you know, I remember in the first year in 2020, we were like, the teachers will pick it up again in September. You know, they'll, they'll, that's, you know it'll be okay. We'll, you know, and we can, we can get that cognitive skill back you know we can bring that cognitive stuff back online and and we can work with that um but you know don't 
don't let the, the pressure of homeschooling impact your relationship with your children and use this opportunity to, you know, regulate them and scaffold them through what's a really scary experience for the whole world. Um, and so I think, you know, when I talk about opportunity, I think there was real opportunities for lots of being very present, being very attuned, being very connected, relational interactions between parents and children during that period. Again, though, that would have depended and on the level of stress, the amount of home, you know, parents mm. working from home. I do think, you know, um, I do I do think the pressures that were placed on parents um, in terms of maintaining their jobs and homeschooling their children, um, you know, was, was a pretty big ask. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. unavoidable, but a very big ask and probably placed incredible stress on home environments. Um, but, you know, there, there is something about being able to be at home and be together and, um, you know, work on that or, work, you know, continue to build and scaffold those relationships. Now, speaking of relationships are really yeah. important, Josh, like, and, yeah. and, and, and why I, I, I go on and on and on about relationships and people hear me, you know, it's probably my catchphrase. Um, and that's because, you know, it's in the context of relationships that we develop. Child mm -hmm. development occurs inside a relationship with a parent and in, you know, and, and or parents or caregivers. And though it's that relational interaction that provides these rich developmental opportunities for children to achieve physical development, social development, emotional development, and cognitive development. Um, and so relationships are just so incredibly important. Oh, look, I, I know. And that's why I always sort of go on the bandwagon of everything needs to be parent-led because the relationship between the child and the parent is the most crucial thing because I know that you specialise in when that doesn't work out. But what's the, what's yeah. the role? How important is it for parents to be involved and part of the actual therapy and with what you do with the child? I think this is really important um, and certainly for our practice we we um, we have a very strong um, you know it's child focused family mm. um, family involved or family connected so we're very clear with parents that if we're going to be seeing your child we need you to be present during the session that might be in the room it might be outside of the room we need you to be available to come in at any point in time we want updates we're going to give you feedback we're going to give you guys homework there's going to be lots of you know but at the end of the day a lot of that's got to do with from from our perspective parents are the expert on their children so first and foremost no one knows the child better than the parent Mm. You know, they have lived with them, they've grown them, they've provided all of this input, they're with them 24-7. And it's if, if we don't get the input from the parent, then we're really not going to be able to guide a therapeutic intervention that is going to be meaningful. It's 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 very piecemeal if you don't have the family involved or the parents involved. Mm. Um, you know, so 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 there's that. And and when I say piecemeal, I mean you know, we can provide kids a whole heap of skills, but if mum and dad aren't involved or a primary care or a caregiver isn't involved to facilitate scaffolding and practising of those skills inside the family context environment, supporting it at school, you know, passing some of that information on to the school, um, then the kids are just getting that in therapy. And yeah. there's 168 hours in a week, Josh. There's mm. 168 hours in a week. Now, if you are lucky enough to get a psychologist that can see you once a week, 
one hour of therapy in 168 hours is like a drop in the ocean. Uh, and, uh, yep. you know, there's a, there's 167 <laughs> other hours of opportunity for kids to be practising what they're learning in therapy, what they're doing in therapy, particularly when it comes to being with big feelings, you know, sitting with big feelings, being co-regulated through big feelings, because a lot of kids there and young kids or kids that have had trouble with managing their feelings, they they can't do them, they can't manage them on their own, they can't regulate themselves, and they need a grown up to sit with them and help them regulate it, you know, co- what we call co-regulate them, mm. um, and just to define what that means that doesn't mean calm the kid down immediately that actually means sitting with a young person in the big feeling like you know about this stuff right you Mm, write books mm, on this it's about being with anger it's about being with sadness it's about being with loneliness um so that so that our young people learn that all of their feelings are really important that they all have a really really valuable job that they tell us something and that they're not something to be scared about. Mm. Do you think that parents are afraid of their own feelings and, and the, or they're not accustomed to their own feelings so therefore they find it difficult to sit with their child's feelings? I see that. I Yeah. Mm. In, the clinic, in the clinical setting, I see that. I don't um, – I'm not a – I don't know that we've got a strong research base around that. Mm. But mm. it's interesting, isn't it, that the current gold standard treatment for parenting treatment, you know, now years mm. ago when I was studying, and I mean years, like 20 plus years ago when I was studying, the gold standard treatment was about behaviour management. Mm. The current gold standard parenting treatment is in a, an emotion coaching based treatment. And I think that speaks volumes. I think that's because a lot of our current generation of parents are in the situation that you were exactly talking about. It's hard to be with their own feelings. And so it's actually quite distressing to be with their children's feelings. Mm. And so they want to fix that for their child really quickly, um, as opposed to just wading through the muck. Yeah. Which is what we we kind of say, you know, we've got to kind of sit in the quicksand for a little bit, you know, and feel what it feels like. And, you know, so when, when we're in session, we're, um, you know, we'll have cup of teas with sadness and we'll wonder about what colour she is and or gender she is or mm-hmm. if, it, if it has a gender and, um, you know. And, and we always try and breed compassion for the children. And this is the way that I work around those emotions. So at the end of every little visit we might have, and sometimes those visits are two seconds long, we get as far as pouring the cup of tea and then we can't spend any more time with sadness. But over yeah. time, we want to spend more and more time with sadness and wondering about her. And, you mm. know, when we get to the point where we, you know, we 10 minutes with sadness, it's incredible. Um, but at the end of every little piece, I always thank sadness for the important job that they do for that particular child. You know, thank you so much for being able to carry all of those sad feelings for little Johnny. Mm. You know, that that means that he can get on and play at school. You know, it's you you have this really important role and and so and the kids see that and we model that for them and we get parents to do that with their kids too. I was gonna um, say are, yeah, you, are the parents that, sitting in on that session observing that and noticing what's happening? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes, depending on the the what depending upon what the goals are in therapy mm. and, and whatnot, we might have a parent in and actually be doing that together. Um, you know, and and invariably whenever a parent's in a session, we're 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 sitting in it all together, whether it's um, you know, wondering about an experience mm. and then the emotions attached to that experience and then the solutions, 
you know, the problem solving or the what are we going to do about that and how in terms of the, the, the situation, but then also how do we support managing the feeling, you know, because mm-hmm. the big thing that we see is, um, and I think this comes again from a generation of parents that again struggle to sit with and be with their own feelings. And I think there's a, you know, I've, I've got some theories and there's no research behind it, but, you know, I think there's intergenerational patterns that have happened mm. that, um, you know, over time parents have parented. Because at the end of the day, right, we do the best we can with what we've got. Yeah. So our parents parent with what they've been taught, um, you know, and we've had generations of, uh, you know, when I think about my grandparents, you were seen and not heard. Mm. Um, you know, you didn't have a voice in a family as a child. You... Um, you know, my my parents were stiff upper lippers, you know. Um, it, it was, you know, I think it was very difficult for my parents to sit with my feelings because nobody sat with theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a kid, you learn to kind of pack your feelings away. Yeah. Um, that, or you, that's you learn that it's that's not that. okay to have them, right? Exactly. That's what I learned because my parents had the inability to to cope with me having feelings whether they were anger or they were sadness because it reflected back on them and they couldn't cope so therefore you know as a child you learned that okay i can't express my emotions i will suppress them the only one i can show is joy and happiness and so you put all these emotions down you go i'm joy and happy and then you get to be 15 you're in therapy Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, again, coming back to you do the best with what you've got, no parent intends to send the message to their child no. that I can't tolerate being, I can't tolerate your big feelings of anger mm. or I can't tolerate your big feelings of sadness or I can't tolerate it when you feel lonely. But invariably, when we minimise them, when we dismiss them, when we shove them under the carpet, when we distract kids and we move them on and because we want to get them happy again really quick Mm. that's the message we send to our kids Mm. you know inadvertently we're saying you know it's not only is it not okay for you to have those feelings but i don't like being you know it's not okay to be with you when you've got them i I can't be with you it's it's hard for me Mm. to be with you with them that's interesting i never thought of it that way yeah okay because the kids i know that kids are constantly looking to their parents for validation for acknowledgement for safety for nurturing constantly and if if an aspect of that parenting isn't there because of something the child's doing, the child is then going to take that on board, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's similar. So I'm, I'm a not a, I'm not a timeout. I'm not from the timeout camp. Mm. So, and this is this is another kind of example of it. I'm a time in. Um, I really encourage parents to time their children in and bring them close. And with the language of, you know, it was really hard for you to make a good choice then. And, um, you know, I don't want you to keep making not so good choices. So I'm going to keep you close to me so that I can help you make good choices right now. Um, mm-hmm. Or I'm going to make the choices for you because you're, you're struggling to make good choices. Um, and what that says is, you know, that um, it's the difference between shame and guilt, isn't it, right? You know, yeah. you, you did a bad thing, you're not a bad person. Mm. Um, and or you and I don't like the word, I don't very rarely have ever used the word bad in therapy. We use not so good choice. Yes. Um, yes it, yeah. You know, and, and I say to kids, there's no such thing as a bad kid. There's kids that can't manage their feelings and there's kids that don't make great choices. Mm. Um, mm. You know, mm. and and they don't, they lack the skill, not the will, as Dr. Avalon says. So, um, but, you know, when we send a kid to time out, what, we're saying is, you know, I, I I don't want to be around you when you do this. 
Mm. Um, you know, and 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 there's a whole heap of stuff that happens, and and you know, I, I will probably at some point do a podcast of my own around some of this stuff. But um, um, yeah, I think we just you know because we don't think, and and we we run on instinct, and we're in the moment, and we're stressed as parents, mm. and we've got competing demands, and it's modern society is hard for parents. It's really hard, and you know, so we do the best we can with what we've got. We use traditional parenting methods that are a little counterintuitive at times, or send a message that maybe we didn't intend to send. And for mm. some kids, they might be you know resilient and robust enough to manage that because of what you've given them earlier in terms of relational connectedness. But for some kids, they may not have that resilience. And, mm. you know, the, that those experiences might just be have a little bit of an impact on them that's not so great. Yeah. I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to another yeah. hot topic, Shell. Screen time. Yeah, screen time. <laughs> First, I want to know, do you know what, what is the effect of, screen time on on the child's brain development so there's a couple of things um the research is i think we're still young in the research around this um mm. to be honest um you know realistically it's only in the last few years that we've had you know this kind of rapid fire increase in well few years probably 10 mm. or so mm. um, it feels like a few to me um, but here's what here's what we do know right our brains require a wide variety of experiences to develop in a healthy way um, they also require um, interactive relationships to organize well so for mm. the neural organizations neural connections to form we need to have positive relational interactive experiences you know and to use a online term in real world experiences, <laughs> IRL. I did not yeah. know what that was until recently. <laughs> um, so what we know is <laughs> that excessive gaming and social media use actually triggers our brain's reward system mm. pretty much like as if we were playing the pokies. Yes. So they are designed to give us a dopamine hit. So dopamine is the um, neurotransmitter and um, that gets released when we experience pleasure or, and reward. Um, so inside our brain, and it sits sort of low in the brain, when we have these positive experiences, we get a dopaminergic hit um, and surge. And so every time you get a like on a post on social media, someone views your podcast, someone makes a comment, um, you level up in a game, you beat the boss or you score a point um, mm -hmm. or you get some Robux, um, you um, get a dopamine hit. And so when we spend too much time on, on our social media or on gaming, what happens is it actually reduces the reward we get in real-world relationships because we're not spending time being present with others. Um, and what then also happens is we then get this drive to get more and more of this reward, this screen reward, this tech reward, over what is the most powerful reward mechanism, which is the positive relational experiences. So mm. there becomes this preference for this. Um, so we end up with these kids that then become quite addicted. Oh, and adults. I mean, oh, I see parents in the waiting room. I, I am addicted to it. You know, I think a lot of a lot of adults are, and they just may not yep. say they are, but yeah. they, they, they are. And, but the thing is, one of the things, have you read Lost Connections by Johan Hari? No. Great book. He talks about how 
with the social media and all that sort of stuff and about how they just invest billions of dollars to keep you scrolling. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with the gaming industry, to keep you within the game. So it is no wonder that we find it, we struggle to 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 break away from these addictions, to see what's out in the real world, because you know, people are literally spending billions to keep us trapped in these things, to keep that dopamine. The algorithm. You know, uh-huh. the algorithms are amazing, you know, mm. and like it's there to fed your feed your interest. Mm. Um, you know, I had no idea. Like I, I thought I was doing OK with Facebook. And then um, so I have two therapy dogs and um, some of my teenage kids decided they wanted to set up a TikTok for the dogs. Mm. And mm. as part of therapy, they would film TikToks with the dogs and put them on there. And so they manage their TikTok account. Um, but, of course, you know, overnight, sometimes I'd be uploading some of those videos and whatnot, and then I'd start flicking through TikTok. And I would lose hours of my mm. evening mm. be getting lost in videos that caught my interest. And then, like, the algorithm, they were like, oh, hello, she's, she likes mm. this. Mm. She double-clicked on that. There she gave that a heart. Next thing you know, my my For You page has been fed with all of this stuff, like dogs on dogs and dogs and dogs and yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, yeah. at the moment, the royal family and the queen and, and, yeah. and you can lose, like, hours. And you can see, you know, it's 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 incredibly rewarding, mm. um, you know, and, and you get you can lose time. You can, you can lose all sorts and, and, of stuff. And the, and the thing that I've been reading is that that a lot of these, like, say, TikTok is not a social media platform. It is not social. You don't have your friends on. It's actually the computer you know, the algorithm does it for you. And then what's happening is Instagram is going the same way. So you won't see your friends anymore. You will see what the best content is. And there is even word that Facebook will go that way. So you won't see, it's not about being social anymore. It's about what the algorithm wants you to keep liking, scrolling, liking, yeah. scrolling, and all that. And therefore, suddenly the real world, IRL, in real life disappears. Mind you, yep. that's why I wrote How to Be a Wonder Hunter <laughs> to, to, to yep. invite kids to to experience the real world again. Because as you know, this yeah. generation alpha of these kids, primary school age kids at the moment, you can't take the technology away from them, but you can invite them to experience something else, something beyond that. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, so are you, are you seeing anything that works to invite kids to do something in the real world? We encourage, because we're a family-based, so we're really about kind of how do we bring rich relational family connections together Mm. for our our kids. We really encourage, you know, I want to make digital free at the table dinner time cool again. Like that's my goal, right, is how do we, you know, phones, iPads in the bowl, kind of chuck them aside. How do we sit at the table, share the day, um, you know, I've created jars of question, what we call conversation jars um, mm. with a whole heap of questions in them and over dinner time, families sit and they pull a question out and they have to ask each other questions and things like that. That can work really well. Yeah, so I really want, um, I'd love to see families and I love working with families around getting them back around the table, talking about the day, sharing experiences, wondering about, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to talk about, you know, well, what was that like for you? I wonder if that made you scared. I wonder if that was, you know, when when such and such didn't play with you, I wonder if you felt left out and lonely. It's a great opportunity for us to be talking with our kids about their feelings, talking with 
and, and modeling for our kids how to talk mm. about feelings, how to talk about problem solving, conflict resolution, all of those kinds of things. Um, so, you know, we're really big on scheduling family time, doing things together, getting outdoors. Um, you know, when it comes to the other thing that I really encourage parents to do is, you know, have schedule good and not so good screen time so there's a couple of other things that i think are really important around the screen time in the brain one is that um some of the research is showing us that it reduces the gray matter the density of the gray matter in the brain um and what that means is that then we have reductions in cognitive capacity so thinking problem solving memory um and the things like that so what we want to do is we want to um you know, make sure that our kids are, and it's our kids are kind of interacting with the media that they're using. So, mm-hmm. um, scheduling good time, good screen time, um, and allowing kids to have a little bit of not so good screen time. But, mm-hmm. you know, and when we've got them in good screen time, asking them about, well, what are you watching? You know, what, tell me a little bit about that. So, I love it when kids come into session and they're like, oh, you know, I watched this really cool YouTube. Tell me all about it. What's the YouTuber? And then I'll Google it up on my iPad and, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll watch it together in session. And, and, you know, kids and they'll look at me and they'll be like, here we go. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll stop. I'll hit pause. And like, no, 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 it's getting to a good bit. I'm like, yeah, but no, I'm really curious. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? When he says that, what happens for you? You know, and so, ah. <laughs> but they still come in and want to tell me about their YouTubers. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and same with movies. Like I'll watch Inside Out. Inside Out's my favourite. I watch that with kids all the time. Um, you know, and we pause it regularly throughout, you know, oh, what do you think's going on for sadness right now? You know, I wonder why anger did that. And, and mm. so I'm inquiring into the child's internal world. What sense are you making of this material that we're watching on this screen? And so now it's an interactive. It's an in real world interactive. The material is no longer passive. It's not just being given to me. Yeah, I'm now engaging right. with that material and I'm internalising it and I'm, I'm taking it into my cortex and I'm building my grey matter through the use of technology. So sitting with our kids and actually co-watching things, asking them questions, you know, getting them interacting with the content is really important. And does that you get know. perceived as just like, does the kid go home and go, oh, I've just had playtime with Shell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle and I watched Inside Out today. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. really, the actual... Shell and I watched Inside Out. But really, they're, they're, they're learning. They're learning all these stuff because you're stopping, you're asking questions. And that's what I always talk to parents about is, is there's so many opportunities to ask questions, to engage, to go deeper, have that deeper connection. And, and look, parents understand that, I think. They really, they really do. It's just sometimes, oh, as you know, finding the opportunity because life is so crazy busy, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's... Like I said earlier, you know, parenting at the moment in the modern world is hard Mm. I'm not gonna you know I I take my hat off to parents today managing you know most parents have to both have to work the cost of living is so high that you know we're, we're in a situation where not you know often there isn't the opportunity to stay at home with our kids or be there when they get home from school you know when they get Mm. back we might have the opportunity in the first five years but then when they get back to school but for a lot of families there's not even the opportunity for the first five years um you know we're having to kind of outsource the parenting a little bit to daycares and Mm. and the like or Mm. to extended family and you know i and pockets of time are hard to find people are busy um, yeah. you know, when you've worked a full day, I know what it's like for me. My kids are grown and gone and, 
you know, when I get home at the end of the day and a meal's got to be cooked and there's still things to do, you feel like you just don't stop working. And I think to myself, you know, wow, how do you fit kids in this nowadays? Mm, exactly. You know, so I, I take my hat off to parents. I think it is difficult, but it's, you know, and again, we often sit and have conversations about, all right, well, where can we carve out some time? What, mm. what, what in the big scheme of things that are grown up important can we let go of? What can we carve off or, you know, can we give that up so that we get a little bit of more time here with our kids? Because the benefit that we'll get in the long run will actually cost us less time especially very early on, if we mm. can spend more time with our kids, doing things with our kids, um, you know, being present and being with. We talk about being with and being with isn't just about being alongside. It's about being engaged with. It's about noticing nonverbal behaviours. It's about being very attuned, picking up on that, asking our kids about it, mm. wondering about it, helping them develop the reflective capacity for themselves and regular regulatory capacity for themselves if you invest a lot of time at the front end in that then you get a lot more time at the, at the yeah, other end because yeah. you're going to end up with less emotional problems better self-regulatory capacity better social skills better peer relationships better academic capacity and cognitive capacities you know and kids that are gonna you know just do better on the whole so the, the their brains are going to be well organized yeah so the earlier you can you can do that for your kids the better isn't it really Yep. Now. Absolutely, Josh. And that's why I've moved mm. my specialty um, mm. to parent infant, infant parent mental health. So, really focusing on that relationship between parent and infant from day one, from conception. Wow. Okay. Now, I have heard this term twice in the last three days. Never heard it before sleep hygiene. What is sleep hygiene? <laughs> Sleep hygiene refers to the healthy habits and behaviours and the environmental factors that we create to contribute to a good night's sleep. And I, I can think hear all the, all the parents out there going, good night's sleep, what's that? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really, we, we push it a lot as psychologists because the other impact of digital media is the impact on sleep. So we absolutely need to achieve restful sleep where we throughout the night go into regular cycles of what's called rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. And we need to have enough of those cycles throughout an evening in order to process what's gone on during the day and store information into long-term memory. If we don't achieve REM sleep, we, um, we, we don't store information into mm. our long-term memory and we, we don't process what's gone on. So we might have sat tired in class or at work um, because we were up all night the night before and we come come home that night and we spend another night on technology and we don't get a very good night's sleep and we don't achieve enough REM cycles. So when we go back tomorrow, we were present at the meeting, we heard the information, but we don't have any recollection of it or we haven't stored it into memory or it's very, you know, it's mm. very, it's brain foggy. Mm. Um, and so what research has shown is that blue light emitting devices in particular, so phones, iPads, um, before bedtime disrupt our sleep patterns because it reduces the production of melatonin, which is a sleep hormone that our body naturally produces and it's without melatonin we don't get REM sleep gotcha so it's this vicious cycle yep what's, so, we what's, what's, about, so what's what's um, one thing 
So I know that you know you could list off a whole bunch of things that that could um, that parents or anyone needs to do to get a good night's sleep. But I know most people go, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Can't. Do that. What is at least one thing that someone can watching this can take away and go, okay, I can do that. One thing is to turn off devices, and I would even argue TVs an mm. hour before bed. Yep. This is a and it's a great op again a great opportunity to connect and relate, wind down together. You know, we're 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 reducing the input of all of that. And, blue and light, parents can read to their light. kids at that time. They can read, yeah. They can read together. They yeah. can, um, you know. And when we're talking with parents and and particularly about sleep hygiene with kids, like there's some very key sleep hygiene components. But when we're talking about kids, we're talking about a bedtime ritual, and it mm. always starts with you know, at least 30 minutes, but I say an hour, mm. get off devices, get off get off tally, reduce the lights in the house to lamps, get some low lighting and start a bedtime ritual, bath, teeth, mm. pyjamas, mm. you know. Don't let them come home from school and get straight into their PJs because that's their body doesn't then associate PJs with sleep and doziness, you know. What about, Stay, what about onesies and hoodies and things like that? <laughs> If you don't sleep in them, that's fine. But if yeah. you don't get into your bed, into your sleep clothes. Yep. Okay. You know? But the one thing I would say is just cut off the devices, a digital curfew, no devices in bedrooms. And and I say that right through to my, I don't see very many teenagers nowadays. Um, and maybe that's because of my digital device policy with teenagers and families. Maybe they choose not to come. Um, yeah. uh, but no, that's not true. I'm focusing on little kids. But yeah. Um, I, I have a very clear policy that when you go to bed, your device is retired to your parents. So we call it a device retirement policy. It goes to mum and dad and it's put on a charger. And if you can't be trusted, it's charged in mum and dad's room. Right. Ideally, we want it to be able to be charged in the kitchen. But if you get up through the night, then mm. you lose the privilege of having it being charged in the kitchen and we pop it in a bedroom. Right. Okay. Um, and this is just to make sure that you get the sleep that you need. Um, mm. You know, you don't need to be up texting your friends at one o'clock in the morning. I know. I, I look. I know, but the the social pressure. Yeah. You know, I might miss out on a message from someone that you don't even really like. Like, like well, I'll tell you yeah. what. One of the, one of the best <laughs> one of the best things that I ever did, Shell, was on my phone here. Turn off every audio notification. So yeah. the only noise this thing does is ring like a telephone. I, I have no dings for messenger or texting or anything. Yeah. And it's 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 how I deal with my anxiety because otherwise I was jumping up every five minutes and mm-hmm. and all it was it was just someone liking something like really yeah you know, so. yeah hundred percent and I encourage parents so I say for kids no devices in the bedroom ideally I'd say the same thing to adults mm. get them out of your bedroom and go back to a traditional old alarm clock you can still buy them at Kmart. Yeah, they and they're only, they're only ten dollars. Well, just even there's a little digital. Oh, you can get radios. it for three bucks. Oh, can you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, so I say, get it. And if you can't get your own device out of your bedroom, then set up a do not disturb. Set up a focus time mm. so that it's do not disturb for a certain number of hours, and that the only people that can call in are you know the emergency calls that you might need, your security company for your business, mm. your pa- your elderly parent, yeah, whatever yeah. it might be. 
But other than that, nothing disturbs you through the night, you know. And I had to do that because I work on two time zones. Like I do a little bit of work in the States. Mm. And, you know, I was invariably taking opportunity when I'd get a notification, I'd wake, I'd respond because I had the person in the moment on a USA time. Mm. But then it'd be a good hour before I'd get back to sleep because the blue light had gone into my retina. My retina had said to my brain, oh, it's daytime, wake up. And my brain had sent signals to my body saying, oh, it's time for us to move and get about. Yeah, and then you yeah. lay on there. <laughs> so there's some really great resources if you Google sleep hygiene. There's like pages that come up with lists of things about you mm. know the temperature you should have your bedroom, mm-hmm. going to bed and getting up at the same time each day. Um, you know, using the bedroom only for bedroom based activities, so sleep and the like. Um, you know, where possible, have a dark room, but obviously. Um, you know, if children need a nightlight, I say mm. use a hallway light or get a very small, low light lamp. You know, I mm. often and I often recommend salt lamps. Like very small salt oh, yeah. lamps are really good. Mm. Um, that might be the hippie in me. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but but really, you know, having a sleep time ritual in that hour before bed that absolutely one hundred percent starts with turning off all your devices. Okay, that's a beautiful thing to. One last question, though, Sean. What yeah. lights you up? Josh, there are so many things. <laughs> Can I have two? One for personal and one for work. Okay, one. Per- okay, right. What's the work one? Yeah, so I I love my work. I There is nothing more powerful than making a difference in the life of a little person and their people. Mm. Um, like I couldn't be given a bigger gift and that just... You know, in many respects, that's the big thing that lights me up. And, you know, some people might think that's sad, um, but I, I wouldn't do anything different. I mm. I can't even begin to tell you just how powerful it is for me in terms of dopamine. Mm. Um, it's such a privilege to be invited into the lives of families um, and then to be able to stand alongside them and consult them in a journey of, um, you know, healing or recovery from challenge um is so incredibly powerful so that absolutely lights me up Mm. um and then the other thing on a personal note is i like to lift heavy things i like to do some power lifting i've seen seen some of your posts on social media and you are lifting some big heavy things yeah i like lifting big things (laughs) so that gives you the dopamine doesn't it (laughs) Uh uh-huh it certainly does it also you know interestingly though the power lifting also really grounds me between my mind and my body it's very mm. easy and i think you know it, and this happens for kids who don't in touch with their emotions or want to avoid their emotions you stay up in your head and you intellectualize mm. Mm. when you're lifting you can't do that you can't think a lift you've got to feel a lift i like that that is really definitely coming out of your head into your body and bringing the two two together to mm-hmm. shell you have been absolute font of knowledge today and you know what I'm going to get you on again and we're going to talk about attachment theory and connection, especially with young kids, because I think that's a whole another topic we can talk about. And I know that's your specialty and you're passionate about that as well. So thank you so much for our little chat today, Shell. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Josh. It's been awesome talking to you.